0: Our only hope is to be infused with external power, a source that generates enough power to make us stronger than Satan, stronger than our fallen flesh, stronger than the mindset of the age in which we live. And there's only one source for that kind of strength in the whole universe, and that's Jesus Christ.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Where do you place your confidence when it comes to living the Christian life? In yourself or completely in Christ? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. And today, Tom has part four of Learning to Use God's Armor. In Ephesians 6, we discover that there are three primary adversaries in our lives the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you can never be strong enough to defeat these three enemies. You'll never have enough resolve, and you'll never have enough willpower. Your only hope is is to be infused with a power external to yourself, a source that generates enough power to overcome Satan's advances, to make you stronger than the incarcerated flesh that still imprisons you until the day of redemption, and a source stronger than the mindset of this age in which we live. From whom does this source originate then? Well, keep that question in mind as we join our teacher now on the word unleashed
0: I want you to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe and that power is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might they're all three words what kinda power are we talking about the power God used verse 20 when he brought about uh, when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places There it's talking about God's power, and certainly as God, Christ has that power. But when you think about Christ's power, we're supposed to be strengthened with His power. What do you think about? If you wanted to see Christ's power in its most graphic form, where would you go? You say, well, I'd go to His miracles. I mean, think about it. In a word, He quiets the sea. In a word, He stills the storm. He makes water into wine. He... Raises people from the dead. He restores limbs. Well, those are all very dramatic. And those are wonderful pictures of what happens to us at the moment of salvation. A -a once-in-a-lifetime event, dramatically transformed. But those are not good pictures of the ongoing need for power we have every day to live out our Christian lives. Because those people who experienced those miracles only experienced it, for the most part, once in their lifetime. So where do you go to see the kind of power Christ has that we need on a daily basis? You go to Matthew 4. You go to his temptation. Because there, Jesus meets the same kinds of issues we meet day in and day out, and he wins. Here in the temptations of Matthew 4. In fact, look at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry, and the tempter came. Now, understand that if you put the other gospel records together, it's clear that for all 40 days, Jesus was tempted. These three temptations are representative of the temptations he had, and they're sort of the climax. They come at the end. In these three temptations, you really have represented the root causes of every temptation you and I face. Look at the first one, verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Jesus, you've been 40 days without food. You're hungry. Your body wants food. Give it food outside of God's will. He's the one who led you here and told you to fast. But you need food you can make these breads into stone. Here you have the temptation to pursue satisfaction of the body's appetites contrary to God's Word. Let me ask you a question. Are you ever tempted to pursue the satisfaction of your body's appetites contrary to the Word of God? Of course you are. If you're a human being, you're tempted in that way. Have you always had the power and strength to say no? No, you haven't. But Jesus has. You need to be strong in the power of His might. Look at the next temptation. Verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and said to him, stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, there's a background to what's going on here, but Satan takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple mount with the highest visibility, and he says, throw yourself off, and in a moment, you will prove to all these people that you are who you said you were. God's ultimately got a plan to substantiate you are who you said you are, and that is through death and resurrection, but don't wait for that. Throw yourself off now, and they will know, because the angels will catch you. It'll be obvious. This is a temptation to pursue personal glory at the expense of God's glory. You ever been tempted to do that? You ever been tempted to self-promotion? You ever been tempted to make yourself look better with the people you live with, with the people at work, the people at school? You always wanting to throw in the, the best story? Make yourself look better than you are? Of course you have. And how have you done with that? Christ. Look at His response. Verse 7, Jesus said, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He didn't bite. He didn't give. He didn't give in to the temptation to pursue personal glory and self-promotion over the glory of God. Look at the third one. Verse 8, Again, the devil took Him to a very high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Satan takes him probably to Mount Hermon, the highest point in Israel, some 9,000 feet above sea level. And there, he allows him to glimpse something of the, the extent of the world. Jesus had grown up in Nazareth, town of 500. Been to Jerusalem and back, and that was it. And here, Satan shows him In his humanity, all the world. Not just the kingdoms then existent, but all the kingdoms that have ever existed. And their glory. And he said, I have the power over these. And to some extent that was true. Under the hand of God. And he said, if you'll fall down and recognize that power, I'll give these to you. Here's a way to get what God promised you. You're going to ultimately get them, but you're going to have to go through suffering and death. Here's a way to get it without going through all of that. I'll give it to you if you'll simply throw yourself down. This was a temptation to crave and pursue personal prosperity and self-fulfillment contrary to God's providence? Have you ever been tempted to pursue prosperity and self-fulfillment outside of God's will and purpose in your life? Of course you have. How did you do? Can you use some help? Look at Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. You can't serve stuff and God, and you're supposed to serve only God. What I want you to see is that during those 40 days in the wilderness, without food, when Jesus was at His physical lowest point, Satan himself, the devil in person, came And again and again, he attacked Jesus throughout those 40 days, culminating in these three ways, in the same kinds of ways that he assaults us day in and day out through his demon force and through his world system. And Jesus, through the strength of his might, never wavered. And Jesus didn't resist temptation just for 40 days but for his entire life. In fact, Luke, when he finishes the temptation account, says, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Oh, you can bet Satan was back often in the life of Christ. Sometimes he took the voice of Peter, and Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes he was in the scribes and the Pharisees. Sometimes he was in the people. Always bringing temptation and Jesus resisted it. If you want to see power that you desperately need, look at how Jesus responded to temptation. An entire life never giving in to the temptation to sinfully satisfy the appetites of his body. An entire life never giving in to the craving for personal glory and self-promotion. An entire life never giving in to the temptation to pursue self-fulfillment and personal prosperity. And look at his life of obedience. Jesus himself described it this way, I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. Can you say that? The amazing thing is that Jesus' power to live a life of obedience can be ours. That's what Paul is saying. Be strengthened in the Lord with the strength of His might. This is the theme of scripture. There's several passages that I love that bring this to bear. Look back in 1 Samuel 30. You see it in the life of David. Throughout the times of scripture, people depending on God's strength and not their own. What do you do when things are about as bad as they can get? Well, in 1 Samuel 30, they're as bad as they can get for David. He and his men have been staying in a town called Ziklag. They've been away, and when they come back, verse 3 of 1 Samuel 30 says, When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. So everything they had amassed, all of their stuff is gone, and their wives and their sons and their daughters have been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Has life circumstances, have life circumstances ever brought you to that point? What do you do? Well, it gets worse. Verse 6, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. What do you do when life gets as bad as it can get? Verse 6, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He found his strength somewhere else. He found his strength in God. What about when you feel life isn't fair? Things aren't going the way you'd planned and hoped. Look at Isaiah 40. The children of Israel found themselves in that situation. Verse 27, they were saying, My way is hidden from the Lord. The Lord doesn't see, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. You ever felt like that? What do you do? You do what Isaiah encourages the people of Israel to do, to look at God and remember verse 29, he gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, in other words, those that you would expect to be strong, even they can't stand, yet those who wait for the Lord, literally the Hebrew text says, and I've shared this with you before, will exchange their strength. They cash in their weak, puny strength for God's strength. And then they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Jesus makes the same point about the source of our strength in John chapter 15. You remember the same the passage about the vine and the branches? In John 15, 4, He says, "'Abide in Me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So he's talking here about bearing fruit. How does that happen? He says it only happens through my strength. I'm the vine that provides the branches the power to do that. And if you missed it, Look how he finishes verse 5. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. When it comes to spiritual life, when it comes to bearing fruit of any kind, without me, Jesus says, you're like a vine cut off, or you're like a branch cut off the vine. I have in my yard a vine that I wish weren't there. And I have tried in Valiant ways to get rid of this vine. It's lovely for about two weeks a year. And left to itself, you can watch it grow. You can stand there and see this wisteria vine grow. I cut it back and two weeks later, it's, it's grabbing onto anything that isn't running away from it. But I discovered something if you really want to take care of those branches that are out there stretching through my yard, don't go cut the branches because that'll grow back in a few minutes. Go back instead to the vine, to the very source, and cut that branch off. And then all of it, all the way out across the yard, will die and wither. Why? Because its strength has been cut off. Its source of energy and strength has been done. That's how it is with us in Christ. We only have the strength to function spiritually when we're rightly attached to the vine. Without me, you can do nothing. This is the constant theme of the New Testament. One other passage 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. Paul's talking about his thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, he says, keep me from exalting myself to torment me from Satan's perspective, and from God's, to keep me from exalting myself. We don't know what the thorn was, could have been a health issue, could have been a person. But notice his conclusion, he says, I asked the Lord to take this thing away, this thorn in the flesh, this problem. Verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness." Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'd love verse 10, I am well content with my weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, with any kind of trouble, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, and we're always weak, his point is, when I realize I'm weak, then I'm in a position to be strong because I get his strength. You get the point? You can never be strong enough to defeat the world, to defeat your flesh, to defeat the devil. You will never have enough resolve. You will never have enough willpower. You will never do it. Our only hope is to be infused with external power, a source that generates enough power to make us stronger than Satan, stronger than our fallen flesh, stronger than the mindset of the age in which we live. And there's only one source for that kind of strength in the whole universe, and that's Jesus Christ. His strength has to become ours. This doesn't mean it's going to be ours in perfection, that we're going to live a life without sin That's why the Bible describes it as a war, a war to the day we die. But we can make progress. We can stand firm. We can see growth in likeness to Christ. But to do it, you and I need a divine transfusion of Christ's power. Now that brings us to the key question, how? How can we be strengthened with Christ's power? Now remember, it's a command. Be strengthened. So it's his strength, but how does it become mine? The answer is at the beginning of verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. You see, here is how to gain the strength of Christ. Paul tells us, but he doesn't just come right out and tell us in plain words. Instead, he uses an extended metaphor of us fastening on armor. How can I gain the strength of Christ for myself? He says it's like putting on the full armor of God. Now, the Greek word for full armor is panoplia, from which we get the English word panoply, which isn't a word we use very often, but it does occur in Charles Wesley's hymn, or maybe it's, I forget which of the Wesley brothers, Soldiers of Christ Arise. He talks about the panoply. It means full armor. It's the complete body armor of a heavily armed infantry soldier, and it's God's. Put on God's full body armor that goes on a heavily armed infantry soldier. How do I put on God's full armor? You say, okay, I get the progression. I'm to be strengthened by Christ's power by putting on the armor, so how do I put on the armor? That only raises another question. In the metaphor, the armor is pictured as going on my body. You know, on my head, on my feet, on my chest. But in reality, and this is what you've got to come back to, the armor is not for my body. The armor is for what? My mind. Remember, where is the battle between God and Satan fought? It's fought where? In the minds of men. So I I have to put on God's armor, and to put on God's armor is to think like God thinks. That's why when confronted with a temptation, what did Christ do? He quoted Scripture. That doesn't mean you're going to get out of temptation by just throwing out a verse. Jesus understood those verses. He applied them to himself, and he responded to temptation with them. He was thinking God's thoughts. Now, notice the contrast between verse 10 and verse 11. In verse 10, we are acted upon. We are strengthened. In verse 11, we must act, put on. This is a wonderful correction to our tendency to get out of balance in the Christian life. You see, most of us are tempted to live our lives at one extreme or the other. On one extreme is the person who depends entirely upon Christ and his strength and does nothing. Well, I, there's nothing I can do. This is where the whole mindset of let go and let God. I'm just waiting for God to zap me. And someday that will happen. Until then, I'm perfectly content to live a life of misery. The other extreme is the person who is the typical American who commits himself to work hard. I'm going to do it. I got it. I hear what you said. I got what you taught through Ephesians. I can do this. I can be the kind of husband I ought to be. I can be the kind of wife I ought to be. I can be the kind of employer and employee I ought to be. I'm going to get to it. I've got my to-do list. I've got my book, Getting Things Done. And it's just a matter of organizing it and putting it out before me depending on your own strength and resources. With verses 10 and 11, Paul dispenses with both of those extremes. And he says, you must depend completely on Christ for His strength, but at the same time you're depending completely on His strength, you must put on the armor. There's something for you to do. You're in a war, so start acting like a soldier. There's a battle. Martin Luther understood the battle between God and the devil. He often wrote that he felt like he was caught between. In fact, one of one of the best biographies of Martin Luther's life is called Luther, A Man Between God and the Devil. In his great hymn entitled A Mighty Fortress, he writes, "For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe." Do you believe that? That's what Paul's saying and armed with cruel hate on earth, is not his equal. Not one of us here is equal to what's before us. Luther also understood the way to stand firm in the midst of this battle, because he goes on to write, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dust ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. Lord of armies is what that means. He's the God of armies. He's on our side. From age to age, the same. And He must win the battle. Luther got it. Do you? So what does this mean for us? It means that we come to God with the same spirit of St. Augustine who lived so long ago when he said in those famous words, give me the grace, O Lord, to do as You command and then command me what You will. O holy God, when Your commands are obeyed, it is from You that we receive the power to obey them. That's the mindset. That's the spirit with which we approach God. Or in the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, forget yourself for the time being. Look at Christ and realize the truth about Him and His power. Then realize that His power is available for you. That is the key to it all. Where's your confidence when it comes to living the Christian life? Is it in yourself? or is it completely in Christ? And the second question is, if your confidence is completely in Christ, have you manifested that by putting on God's own armor?
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of Learning to Use God's Armor. Join us next time for part five. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at org. Again, that's listeners at org, Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.